And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a real pleasure to come your way again to talk to you about the various subjects, well, that we talk to you about here on the program that comes your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and we're streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com, as uh, we also have uh, a Wednesday morning 9 a.m. edition. So uh, go to richarddugan.com, and you will be able to um, listen to those as they're broadcast live. You can also go to the podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. We are also on YouTube where you can watch and listen to these interviews. And, of course, we will be linked to our guests' website so that you can find out more about the work that they are doing. Today we're going to be diving in uh, to an area that, well, I deal with pretty much on every single, almost every program. Not all, but almost every program. And this is going to be one of those rare ones because my guest, though she is an author, we're not here to talk about her book. I hope one day we will. But in the meantime, we're here actually to talk about uh, a very special event that is coming up. And uh, we're talking about BookFest uh, 2022. And I want to welcome to our uh, program today, Desiree Duffy. Uh, you are the – give me the title you have in regards to uh, this BookFest, which apparently is, has become quite a big deal. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate you having me on the show to talk about the book fest. And yeah, my relation to the book fest is I created it. I founded it. Um, it's one of my three companies, actually. Um, I started Black Chateau, which is a marketing and PR agency for authors six years ago. And from that, when the pandemic hit, we all remember what it was like in 2020. And our authors weren't able to do a regular event they do every spring. We always did the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books. Mm -hmm. Have authors come into our booth and do a signing. We'd create press, social media. We'd, we'd make a lot of activity around that festival. And so when lockdown started to happen and people couldn't go out and do things in the real world, we created the Book Fest. And I always like to talk about the, the origin story of that because in those early days, everybody remembers in March, of March, April of 2020, we didn't know how long things were going to last. We had no idea. We thought it was going to be a fleeting thing. Things mm. were just going to be delayed. And so we hurried to put the book fest together because we wanted people to be able to do something right then and there. And within six weeks, we created the website. We invited not only our authors that we represent, but a lot of authors around around the world, actually. We have relationships with all sorts of people within the bookish world, publishers and agents and editors, etc. And it was really like Richard, I like to call it like the story of Stone Soup. You remember when everybody came together and contributed and created soup that everybody could enjoy? It was very much like that. And we had a full day of programming that was panel discussions and conversations. We even did an after party. And on a complete lark, we were just having fun. We were brainstorming just a week or two before we were going to do the book fest. And somebody said, wouldn't it be cute if we had somebody rather ironic 
read the children's story, Good Night Moon, at the very end of the book fest, kind of like a closer, something that just kind of made people feel warm and cozy. And somebody else suggested, yeah, you mean like Danny Trejo, the guy who played Machete and is always the big bad guy in all those movies. And somebody said, yeah, wouldn't that be fun? And we asked him, we reached out to his manager, and lo and behold, he said yes. So for our very first book fest, we had Danny Trejo reading Good Night Moon. And after that, it just grew and grew. We had, we, and we still do. We do it twice a year in the spring and fall. And we have so many authors and experts from the bookish world join us. It's really just an amazing event. And the cool thing, Richard, it's online, so you can attend from anywhere in the world. And even better, it's free. There's no paywalls. There's no evites. There, there's nothing that people have to do. We make it a, something that's accessible for everyone. That is very cool, I will tell you. And having interviewed, I'm going to say hundreds. It might be thousands, <laughs> but I'm going to stick with hundreds. Uh, staying humble, mind you. Uh, the number of people I've interviewed who have had books, uh, who have had second and third and fourth books, and we've had them on the program a second, third, and fourth time, uh, interviewing people for 40-plus years and watching – the the changes in the top sellers, uh, depending – sometimes it's seasonal, uh, but sometimes it's more uh, – it's more a period of time, maybe, you know, a few years in the 80s and then another few years and then into the 90s is another genre and so forth. And, and each era seems to have its own its own feel to it from that standpoint. Now, granted, uh, I'm sure that there is a category – within BookFest for more spiritual and metaphysical books, more self-help, if you will, more transformational, I guess, is more the common word today. And that's what we focus on this program about. And people go, what the heck come she's on the program? What's that got to do with transformation? And I think that the reality is the reason why we have you here, at least from my perspective, is because you're fostering that. You're facilitating the continuation of people writing. Talk to us about the impressions that you get from, let's just say, first-time authors who weren't authors but attended BookFest in semesters past, shall we say, half years past, what have you, uh, who said, you know, it was so cool watching, and I thought that would really be neat to be a part of that, but also to tell my story or whatever it is, the story that I want to tell, fiction or nonfiction. Yeah, transformation is a theme that resonates big time with the book fest and with authors. I think you you hit it, Richard. So many authors have in their head an idea of what it is that they're doing, probably because they, they've been told since they were, they were little that the author is the person that goes off into the woods by themselves. They're a solitary animal and they write their opus. And then the next thing you know, they get a publisher and it gets released to the masses. And you talked about how things change over time and that's definitely changed over time. It's changed in the past two or three years in large part because of the pandemic. And before that, it was changing. It changed from about 10, 15 years ago with the advent of self-publishing and people being able to get out there like never before. So I think you actually touched on something that's just very true within the industry. If anybody wants to be an author, to realize and know the landscape 
And one of the things that the Book Fest does for authors, and that's day two. By the way, we break it up into two days. Day one is for readers, and day two is for writers. Mm -hmm. And guess what? And I know you're a writer, too. If you're a writer, that means you had to have read books, and you still should be reading books. There's a lot of crossover between readers and writers. It's not necessarily like if you need to hire a plumber, and you're like, oh, my gosh, plumbing is so great. I want to learn to be a plumber. But when you start reading a book, it's like that's what draws us in to want to become writers. So with day two being focused on the writers, we have we've done panels, panel discussions about transformational writing, about memoirs. It's really something that's popular within the memoir genre. Um, and many of the authors that we've worked with have had a very spiritual um, slant to their writing. Even within our BookFest Awards, and I know we haven't really talked about that yet, but one of the most popular categories we have in the BookFest Awards, which is where authors can submit their books. And if you're somebody who reads, you should go there and check out some of the awesome books that are getting honored. There's a whole category for spiritual and transformational books, um, books from people from all the different religions, too. We're very open and accepting that way. Um, we have a lot of entries that way. So, yeah, there's definitely that aspect to the book fest. I remember uh, growing up as a kid, uh, I was introduced to audibles. However, they weren't mm -hmm. called audibles back when I was a kid. They were, they were called Recordings for the Blind and Talking Books for the Blind. Uh, and my very, 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 very first radio job was with a radio reading service for the blind and visually impaired. And I said, if there were ever a radio, if I were ever to buy a radio station, there would only be two formats that I would ever, ever choose. One of them would be the radio reading format, where we would read uh, uh, new newspapers and periodicals and books, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to those who couldn't. And I found out after moving to Santa Barbara, there's another category I hadn't ever thought of before that would fit, and that's the dyslexic. And I'm going – when I first saw that, when I first saw the recordings for the blind and dyslexic in Goleta, California, I'm going, what? Dyslexic? What are you talking about? They can read? Uh, well, not exactly because the code they're looking at is not the code that their brain is deciphering. And that's why they struggle so hard. Now, I don't have any personal experience, so I can't really speak from firsthand. But my wife uh, has uh, has dyslexia. And was not diagnosed and had a struggle through school. I was legally blind. So she could at least read the code. She just couldn't, uh, she couldn't break it. Uh, I, I, had, uh, I had a challenge reading it uh, and hated reading in school. I mean, it was like the teachers apparently thought that it was perfectly okay to call on me. Richard, would you please stand up and read chapter three, page two? No, I really don't want to. <laughs> and now I'm narrating a mystery novel uh, for, for the author. So that's quite a quite a path to have traveled. But I want to ask you about that in terms of the book fest. And you have a, 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 a do you have a workshop yet or are you planning on having one dealing with the issue of creating audibles or for that matter, deciding whether or not the author's book would actually be appropriate for an audible? Because obviously a picture book would not uh, wouldn't work too well. Mm -hmm. Well, in children's books, as long as there's words, you can turn a children's book into mm -hmm. an 
phone book. Yeah. Uh, and actually, it's funny that you bring that up because we do have Becky Parker Geist. She is somebody, She her uh, office is in Oregon, and she's also, I think, president of the Bay Area Publishers Association. She She's amazing. So she does audiobooks. She produces them and she narrates them. And so she's a big advocate for all things audio. And she is speaking at this book fest. She's going to be part of the fun on day one. And talking about, because I remember day one is more for the, the reader. So she's going to be talking about just the magical world of audiobooks. Because you're right, there's so many people who still to this day only think of books as something that you read. And they don't realize from, you know, from back in the day when you're right, people would, it was books on tape, right? It was mm-hmm. for people that were blind. Or right, like, yeah. Like, uh, truck drivers, a lot of times, would tell me back in the day that they would listen to their audiobooks. But now you can do so many things while you're listening to the book. Yes. people, It's like they've rediscovered something that was there all along. And people, much like with podcasts, and you're doing a podcast too, people are probably listening to us while they're walking their dog, while they're at the gym, while they're in the car. I like to listen to my books while I'm cooking in the kitchen or cleaning the house, because then I, I'm i listening and I have a story going on, but I can still do other things. Yeah. And so, yeah, Becky, when she's with us at the book fest, she's going to be talking about just the magical world of audiobooks and how it's expanded and it's grown. And she's got some great audiobook recommendations, too, because like you said, it's always changing. There's lots of different genres that are out there. And whether you're using someplace like Audible, which is owned by Amazon or one of the other platforms out there. There's lots of great audiobooks to choose from. Black Chateau is one of your companies, and you are the founder thereof, as well as uh, part of the uh, the group that's getting together very soon here, The Book Fest. TheBookFest.com is the website. We'll be linked to that website as well so that people can find out more. Desiree Duffy's my guest, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, when we are uh, doing this program, I know that there are people who have uh, different uh, ideas, philosophies, etc., etc., and we have them on the program, and uh, they don't have a book, and that's okay. Not everybody who comes on this program has to. It just happens that most of them do. And in this day and age with our technology, uh, Desiree, there are certainly many different opportunities and possibilities in terms of book presentation, be it Hard copy, not hard cover, hard copy, which could be soft or hard cover, uh, as well as uh, the electronic version, which would be uh, some of the people would know that as Kindle. And then, of course, we've talked about the, the Audible version uh, that, that Amazon puts out. And there are other companies that are putting out Audibles, too, uh, which is kind of frustrating because, uh, you know, you can only listen to one book at a time. I mean, it would be great if you had two phones and you plugged one earbud in this ear listening to the stranger in a strange world and then in this ear you'd have uh the autobiography of a yogi playing in this ear and somehow the brain manages uh not to fry (laughs) and you want to read so many and there are so many books to read now uh i don't know about you desiree but i bought the hard copy of stranger in a strange land which I'm, you're familiar with. Yeah. And I mean, it's like this thick, right? And I tried reading it. I tried getting I still have it at home. And finally, I found it on Audible. 
And so I bought it with the credits and so forth. And I started listening to it. Wow, this is great, you know. And there were parts I had to go back and I had to reread two or three times because I forgot. Uh, It had been five or six days since I'd listened. So I got to go back about 15, 20 minutes and read. And the, 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 the narrator did great with the voices. Uh, I loved the story. I hated the ending. Hated the ending. Uh, and I'm not going to give it away here. But I'm thinking, you can't <laughs> end it like this. No. Actually, that was probably the best and only way they could have ended it. But it was a, it was a great story with great intrigue. I listened to Dune on Talking Books. Mm. That's how I was introduced to Frank Herbert's trilogy, Dune. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, the Atreides and the Spice and the Blue Eyes and all of that stuff. <laughs> and then, of course, you see it in the movies. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, you, you, I'm sure you have seen, even in, let's say, the last 10, what, 20 years, if that, if that the evolution of. And I want to kind of look at audibles because I don't know that there's much more you can do with a hard copy or, or a digital version per se, um, whereas with a, an, a, a recorded version, I did a children's book. I didn't record it. I mean, I recorded it, but I didn't read it. The author read it. It was like grandma reading to the kids, and we threw some sound effects in, and then I threw music in, transitional music from chapter to chapter, and it made me cry. I produced it, and it made me cry. Mm-hmm. Um how much further can we go in that regard? Are, are we looking somewhere down the road at uh, uh, virtual reality, creating from the text of a book, uh, the storylines and, and, and having them created that way, aside from Hollywood doing movie versions of them? <laughs> I think you are right. And I think that will happen. I think that virtual reality, augmented reality, that immersive experience is just around the corner where you're going to be in the story. You're going to stand on that desert in Dune and you're going to see the Fremen and you're going to be like, oh, look at those blue eyes. And you're going to be right there. And it'll be similar to that movie experience, you know, where you got the thundering music and the sound effects and the visuals and the explosions. And it's awesome. But what you're telling me, Richard, is something that I hold in my heart. I actually come from a background in radio, too. So I understand the whole idea of the theater of the mind. And you read Frank Herbert's book and you saw those blue eyes. But in your mind, nobody had to show them to you, Mm -hmm. whether it was on a screen or augmented reality. That didn't come into play. And that is the core of why books are always going to be the superior storytelling mechanism. After all, all of these different media, that's all they are. But story is story is story. And it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And when we feel it, we know it. And that's what matters to human beings. That's what I think makes us human. So whether we're reading the story or listening, because I'm a big fan of listening to those books as well, the story is taking place up here. And what we have in our brains, what we have in our minds, will never, ever, and I hope it never will, too, be outdone by what we see on a screen or what the augmented world gives us. Because then it's not us. It's coming from somewhere else. 
And I think we as humans can do better and should do better. Well, I am excited about the future in that regard in terms of storytelling. Uh, as, as I was listening to Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code on cassette as my wife and I would drive to and from Santa Barbara before we moved here, mm-hmm. I was seeing the movie play out in my mind, right? When the movie came out, I'm going, how did they tap into the film library in my head? It looked like I saw it. And the main character who Tom Hanks played looked like the character in my version of The Da Vinci Code. It was it was incredible. It was just astounding. And uh, it's, it's amazing the stories that we have. We haven't read them, okay? Not like we've read Dune or Autobiography of a Yogi or whatever it is. But the stories we have created over the years from our lives, from our childhood, maybe we had an imaginary friend uh, and so forth, that we now need to tell. When, As we continue, I want to talk to you about the writer's uh, day uh, at BookFest and talk more about that aspect of tapping into one's imagination as we continue talking with Desiree Duffy. We're talking about uh, BookFest 2022. Give us the dates uh, of of the BookFest. Sure. It's October 22nd and 23rd, Saturday and Sunday. All right. And folks, BookFest.com is the website, the BookFest.com. Dot com. We hope that you'll go there and find out more as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we are talking about probably one of the most important, not the most important per se, but it's one of the most important aspects of civilization. Not our society, but of civilization. Uh, we hear about the destruction in the in centuries gone by of great libraries like what is it uh, uh, library at Alexandria for 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 one example and who knows what was lost in that regard maybe history books maybe fiction maybe recipe books you know maybe books with inventions that had been created uh, and so forth and so on. What are your thoughts and feelings? And don't worry, I haven't forgot about getting to the writer's day on the 23rd. But what are your feelings when you hear in our modern day about some of these groups around the world who are so adamant about their perspective being right that they will go and they will destroy the museums and the libraries of the ancient writings of that particular civilization? Well, my thoughts are that's a travesty. That's a crime against humanity. But it's happened throughout history. You know, if you look, you mentioned the Library of Alexandria. Alexandria is in Egypt. And in Egypt, if you look at the carvings on the wall, and if you look at some of the pharaohs and you can see that at some point somebody decided they didn't like that pharaoh and they chipped away their face. 
So that concept of humans trying to rewrite and modify history after the fact, that's part of our history too. And I, I do, I, I feel it's, it's a travesty. It's something that's really sad, but maybe I'm Pollyanna and my, my viewpoints, I like to look at the positive side of things and how much that we've been able to retain and maintain. And thankfully, because of things like the internet, we're now able to catalog and curate content like never, ever before. So hopefully stuff like that won't get lost in a couple of thousand years for future generations from this period in time. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And hopefully somebody is digitizing uh, a lot of the older works. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I find an old book in one of our local bookstores, which we still have a few local bookstores, they're not uh, franchises. Um, I think I, I look at the information contained within those covers. The older the book is, the more likely I am to trust the information. Uh, there was a book that I bought and I lost it. I do have another copy of it, but it's not the original version I had, which was, which was printed on what they call onion paper. It's very thin, but it was a soft cover book. It was called The Communica Communication with the Spirit World of God by Johannes Graeber. And I read it cover to cover. It took a long time, but I read it. I actually lent it to my mother. At that time, she did not like it because it was not real positive about the Catholic Church. Um, uh, and um, uh, yet, at the same time, uh, I, I, I must have lent it to somebody and never got it back. And I really feel badly about that because that was such a beautiful volume. But it was written back in the 30s and the 1930s, I should say. <laughs> uh, and I thought, great. And then there's another series of books that were put out in the 30s by a gentleman by the name of Joseph Benner. The one of the ones that I would carry around with me. I've carried around with me since I was 21. The Impersonal Life. I've even had it rebound. It's just this small little volume. And I carry it around with me everywhere I go. Um, there are books, though, in addition to the destruction of libraries, there's also this attitude that there are certain books that should be banned. Or, for that matter, rewritten. And I heard the greatest travesty uh, of one of our uh, premier authors of, I think, the 1800s, who one of his books was being rewritten to remove the N-word. And you know who I'm talking about, Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain. And I'm going, but that's the way they talked back then. This is not a slight on people today. It's conversation that was going on back then in the days shortly around or shortly after slavery. And it's and again, it kind of goes to what your point of chipping away at the picture of the pharaoh in the tomb in Egypt, that people want to rewrite history because they're offended. And it's like, well, then I guess we're going to have to rewrite the Bible because there are a lot of words in there I'm highly offended by. If I wanted to be really fastidious about it, including the word fastidious. Right. Well, the thing with, with, with um, Mark Twain, as you point out, if you read Huckleberry Finn mm -hmm. and understand the time period that was in, you, you just have to turn to the very last page 
to read that that entire journey, and it was literally a journey that they took, right? Um, that Jim and Huckleberry Finn took, mm -hmm. that the entire journey was so that at the very end, he could throw away his religion. That's what he did at the end. He basically said, if I'm going to, you know, be cast into hell and damnation for being a friend to Jim, then so be it. That's the point of that book. And you can read that book. We've all probably read it in high school or maybe college. It's fun. It's a romp. It's, yeah. you know, he's such a magnificent storyteller, right? We tend to forget that there's a real powerful message in that. And I think that might be what's happening with people that um, want to ban that book. And trust me, there's lots of books that people want to ban. And that's actually a very powerful conversation we're having at the Book Fest. I'll bet, including uh, the first book ever to be banned by Kindle. Do you know what book that was? I do not know. Fahrenheit... Was it 451? Okay, yes. That's yes. the title of the book. That was the first book Kindle banned. They removed from their library. Now, I don't know if they've returned it, but this was years, this was some years ago. The story came out. And in a way, it was really ironic that that was the book they removed from their shelves, digital shelves. That talks about that, and that's the temperature at which books burn is four hundred and fifty-one right. degrees. Uh, I, you know, it's just like you—you you people have no concept of what you're banning because of the message you're sending because of that book you're banning. It's just like the irony. I get it. I get the irony. I don't think they did, but this is to me very important. And now there's another issue, and I have a funny feeling this could. This could spill over into literature. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're hearing about this Supreme Court case uh, against, uh, I guess it's Andy Warhol's heirs or something like that, where they're contending you can't use another person's image uh, in your art um, because it is copyrighted or it's trademarked or whatever it is, unless, of course, you get written permission to do so. And so I'm sitting here thinking, well, how far are we going to take this? You know, I mean, what happens if somebody in their literature does what they talk about in movies and television programs? What if they do product placement? Can the manufacturer of that product, mac and cheese by Kraft, sue? Because, I mean, it seems yeah, to me, <laughs> it seems <laughs> like can. a slippery slope yeah. to me. Yeah. Uh, well, I meant, uh, I'm not a lawyer. And actually, we do have a panel called Legal Eagles where we talk about just everything that storytellers do need to be aware of, you know, from using song lyrics, which I know a lot of writers like to do. You do have to be careful. And that's why it's advisable if you're a writer to make sure that you have somebody legally go through your manuscript. Um, as far as product placement, you know, I've been in marketing and PR for many years. So if I worked at Kraft Mac and Cheese and I wanted to, you know, have my product placed in a movie, I would pay to do that. So you pay to do that. Now, if you're putting somebody's product into whether it's a movie or a book and you're doing it in any way that's disparaging, that can get you a lawsuit right there. So, yeah, I, I would definitely strongly recommend that anybody that wants to put products or song lyrics or the names of people 
in memoir writing, and this is actually something that we're going to talk about during that panel, a lot of times memoirists uh, get a little bit confused and they do have to be careful because if they're talking about somebody else's life, when they're telling their own story, mm -hmm. a slice of their own life and their own memoir, at what point do they need to be careful? So yeah, those are all great points, Richard, and something that I highly recommend that any writer or storyteller or filmmaker, whatever, make sure that they're careful of. And like I said, that's actually something we're talking about at the book class. Well, I will tell you that, for example, I had the great pleasure of uh, being in the presence of and working with uh, a local musician uh, who is a part of a, a band that's known nationally and internationally. And uh, he is one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet. Worked with him. He was one take wonder. Michael McDonald. Now, I can say all of those things about him because that was my experience of him. But if I say anything more about Michael and his life, I think that's when I cross the line because I don't know. And I will tell you that going through personal growth and development programs, they always tell you that if you, when you start talking about this program that you're in, first of all, we ask you not to divulge the process. Okay, I understand that. Second of all, you only talk about your experience from the first person position, your position. You do not talk about anybody else's experience because you don't know what their experience was. You may have been there, but it's now secondhand. And I guess that's kind of, and again, neither of us are lawyers and I don't ha know the laws and what have you, but I, to me that would be kind of, you metaphorically speaking, where the, where the line might be drawn. Yeah, I can talk about having met him, uh, I talk about my experience of him and with him and what we inter our interaction. But when I start talking about his life and what he's done and so forth, I'm going to stay away from that. I think that's that's uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of, you know, flirting with slander and libel and all of that. Again, I'm not a lawyer <laughs> and but, I always recommend that people talk to somebody before they put something like that into their, their right. books. But you have lawyers who are going to be part of the book fest 2022 mm -hmm. coming up uh on the 22nd and 23rd of october you can go to thebookfest.com and find out more we're talking to desiree duffy she's the founder of uh, uh, is it the black chateau and black chateau the book fest and books that make you as well and books that make you Mm -hmm. And we'll continue doing so right here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, Desiree Duffy is my guest, and uh, she has founded uh, three different uh, organizations, if you will, or groups, uh, uh, Black Chateau, as well as Books That Make You, and The Book Fest 2022, and it's going to be done uh, twice a year in the fall and the spring. Is that primarily when books are released? I mean, I know they're released throughout the year, but... Is there this big deluge, especially considering in the fall, you've got the holidays coming. So are more books released at that time or is it quite literally up to whether, you know, whether the authors and the publishing houses have been able to, you know, put together uh, the authors and their and their manuscripts and get them created and what have you? Yeah, there's different release cycles and the big publishing houses will have their different seasonal type releases, you know, a lot of times they want to get those beach books or travel books out before the summer hits. Anything that might be related to the holidays, obviously, should be out before the holidays. Um, I generally 
recommend to our authors when we work with them, and we work with we have a, a range of authors. Everybody who has been published with one of the big five or big four, whatever you want to call it nowadays, um, small or medium uh, houses, as well as indie publishers or small press or vanity press, um, hybrid presses. Sometimes they're known. And I generally suggest that they stay away from the holidays right up until about mid-November is about as late as you want to go, just because otherwise you're going to get lost in the holiday shuffle. Mm. Again, because we're doing a lot of PR marketing, you're actually going to be promoting your book. You're competing then with higher rates, higher costs for your advertising, just because everybody's advertising them. And then as soon as the next year hits, as soon as January 1st, 2023 happens, you've got a book that was released in 2022. And even though it might have been just a couple of weeks ago, there's something perceptionally. Um, so I, I like to, you know, if we if we can kind of get things into the the next year and then you have this brand, shiny brand new book that's ready for the, the new year and, you know, to be our lists and the new year and all of that is a great way to promote books. Now, when I was a kid growing up, and I would go into the local, uh, the, the school library, the public library, or when I got into high school, the high school library. We had this massive cabinetry uh, that contained all of these index cards that were all, all these cards were referencing different books throughout the library using a system they called the Dewey Decimal System. Not asking you to give us a history of that, but I'm curious as to whether the ISBN number is akin to that in any way, shape, or form, or is it just a series of numbers that they give to a book? Why is that important? Uh, well, an ISBN number is going to identify that book and that particular type of book. That's not actually something I see first-time authors get confused about a lot. Um, and you're talking about the different types of books, you know, whether it's a hard copy, an audible version, ebook, etc. So every version of the book is going to need a, an identifier. Boker is, by the way, if anybody's really interested in taking a deep dive, that's where you should go and get them. Be careful if your publisher wants to have your, or especially if they're a small press or an indie publisher, you know, you should, if you can, own your own identifiers. You can own your own ISBN numbers. But it does. It, it identifies the number. I mean, if I know the ISBN number of a book, I can go to Amazon or any place else that's databasing books, and I can search and look up and find that book that way. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I do see having those identifiers as being important. The Library of Congress number is obviously really important, too especially in the United States, you should get your Library of Congress number. And I got to tell you, Richard, nothing is more thrilling as an author than to know that your book is cataloged. You want to talk about the Library of Alexander? Yeah. Well, uh, you, the Library of Congress. How's that for a library to know that your book is going to be a part of history Ooh. in at database. So don't forget to get that Library of Congress number okay. in addition to that ISBN number. Okay, I will. I'll get them both. Now, <laughs> yeah, I did both. sign I did sign on to I wish I could remember the name of the website. It was a self-publishing website rather I at the time it was rather popular. I think it was connected with Amazon, but I I'm just not recalling. And I remember them as I went through the, the sign-up process and I put my book title in and all that stuff, 
I think they gave me an ISBN number at that time. That's where I'm going to say don't use theirs. Because if you're a self-published author and you're working, and there's lots of them out there, right. and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that they're doing this intentionally, mm-hmm. but what happens if that company goes belly up? What happens if you can't get your own ISBN number? So when you have it, you own it, and you can go and buy them from Boker yourself. Mm. So that's what I recommend doing. Unless you're with a very high-end publisher, one of the top five, four, or a very high-end publisher, chances are you as a self-published author and indie author are better off getting your own ISBN number. Another fun fact, Amazon is going to want you to use their AISN number. That's what they call it. It's their own thing for their own Kindle. And here's the deal. Amazon is a retailer. They want to be a distributor. They act like a distributor. They do a lot of things that make authors feel like they can only be with them, but they are a retailer. If you ever want that book inside of a library, picked up by Barnes & Noble, Target, all of those places, you should get your own ISBN number. Sure, for the digital version that Kindle does, you can go with their AISN number and, and do that. But you should still have your ISBN numbers and go go to Boker, go get them yourself. And that way you always control them and you have access to them. Because your local library, if you, if you call up your local library and say, I'm so excited, I just released my book. And they say, where is it? And you're like, well, it's only available on Amazon. Here's the ASIN number. They're going to be like, we can't order that because your library is never going to order a book from Amazon because Amazon is a retailer. Hmm. Barnes & Noble is never going to order a book from Amazon because that's their competition. Right. Same thing with Target, Walmart, all of these big box stores that carry books. If you want your book available to the masses, and why wouldn't you, then you're going to want that total control. Can you get both? Can you get the Amazon number as well as an ISBN? Yep. And then yes, you're not locked sure. in. Yep, and and you should, you should. Okay. You can get the AISN number for your Kindle version, and you can still do the ISBN number for your physical book or for your ebook that's that can be available on other platforms. Here's the thing: Barnes and Noble, they and other there's Draft to Digital, and there's different places, Kobo, etc. There's a lot of different places that you can digitally distribute your book besides Amazon. Amazon doesn't want you to even know about those other places. Amazon will never tell you about those places because they want you to just be with them. And they will offer authors things like, you know, being, you know, a a Kindle Unlimited author and you can get certain benefits. In some cases, some authors are very well served doing it that way. It really depends upon your genre and what your goals are in your writing. For example, a lot of page turning genre fiction type books like romance can do really, really good just being on Amazon because you've got a good solid audience there and you got a lot of people that are going to just read and page through and just devour those books. Something that's literary fiction, you're better off served by having that mass distribution. So you can and should have both be on Amazon and distribute your books um, elsewhere as well. And get your Library of Congress number too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that. And yep. that's got to feel pretty good as well, I'm sure, uh, for for others. As you have said, Desiree Duffy is my guest, founder of uh, 
the Black Chateau, The Book Fest 2022. TheBookFest.com is the website. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And um, I think that's part of what BookFest does as well because probably – I, and I fall into the category, to be honest with you, in spite of all of the research I have done thus far. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. All I know is I want to write this book. I want to get it finished. And I want to get it published on or before. But actually, I was talking with uh, one of my guests who deals with publishing companies and so forth. Uh, that my target publication date is the 22nd of December of 2022. And it is, as you and I are talking, it's about the middle of October. So I'm running out oh, of time. I didn't realize that. <laughs> I got two months to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm going to have to move on it if I'm going to even come close. Now, I'm wondering if one wants to get a book published and, like you were talking, have it maybe the end of December so that it's out for the first of the year, a New Year book, uh, you know, a great way to start the New Year, so on and so on, which I kind of feel like my book might be appropriate. If I was to publish without it going through all the necessary steps and then I find, oh, I should have changed this and this and this and this and this and this, it's a little late, isn't it? Because the book that I publish is going to be the book that's going to be put out regardless. So there's a few things to unpack there. First of all, if you publish a book and you find some typos and you want to change things, you can. You can re-upload your files and you can do that to Amazon. You can do that on Ingram as well, especially if you're self-published author with a small press. You can use Ingram Spark. So you can do that. Um, if you if you really want to make substantive changes to it, get a new ISBN number and you can have a second edition to the book. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. But from a marketing perspective, I might give you a little sage advice and say, hey, you're going to want to do some pre-launch marketing for that book. That means promoting it at least three months in advance and getting some advanced reviews. Chances are your publisher or if you hire a publicist or somebody to work with you, they can put your book out on NetGalley and all of these other places to get advanced reviews. If you've ever wondered how it happens that somebody is reviewing and talking about a book before it even comes out, it's because they're sent a galley copy. Mm. Back in the day, a galley copy used to be just that. That's what they called it. That's why NetGalley has its name. NetGalley's been around forever. And I always say this, I'm not, I'm not, I don't work for NetGalley. It's just that they're kind of like the, the big dog in this realm because they've been doing it for so long. But what that does, what sending that ARC, that advanced reading copy or that galley copy out to reviewers does, is it gets people talking about your book before it's even released. Mm. And on Amazon, you can put your book up for pre-order. So rather than rush, I get this phone call all the time, Richard. It's one of the saddest phone calls I get. Hi, I just launched my book. Now I'm ready for the PR and marketing. And I can tell you, somebody who's done PR marketing for books, no, the time to do all of that was months before because we would have wanted journalists and reviewers and librarians and bookstore buyers and book bloggers and social media influencers. We want all of those people to have the book in advance to be reading it. I want to be able to take a blurb, a quote that we get 
from somebody and put it in the press release. And I'm sending out that press release usually about six weeks before the book comes out. You want to be able to have all of that ready for your social media marketing. You want the bookstore buyers, the people that work at bookstores that might be picking up your book in their next buying cycle to see those reviews on NetGalley and then buy your book. So there's a whole lot of marketing that goes into launching a book before it's even ready to hit the shelves. And, you know, sometimes self-published authors, they get really excited and they think, I'm going to push this book out. I'm going to launch it. And then I'm going to do all this marketing. It's kind of like if you ever gone to the movies and you see that trailer for a movie that's coming in summer of 2023. You can see those movies now and it's starting to raise excitement, right? When you see the full trailer that comes just a couple of months before it comes out and you hear that the the movie reviewers are talking about this movie because they had some kind of a press screening of that movie and now the critics are saying this is a you know a movie that you're going to fall in love with yada 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 it's the same thing in the bookish world so i'm going to just caution giving you just a little little sage of advice maybe just maybe Take that book and put it out early next year. Okay. And give yourself plenty of time to do the marketing and PR the right way. Well, I I I will take that advice uh, at at the risk of procrastinating because I've pushed it into January or February. But I'm going to do my best to stay on top of it with all of the other plates I've got spinning. It's one of them, and I need to. Uh, I need to stay attentive to that as well. And I know that's one of the biggest problems with authors uh, uh, sometimes is uh, the procrastination. They put it off, especially the writing part. They say that's probably the hardest part. All the other stuff's easy by comparison, uh, depending upon, of course, what what you're writing. And if you get into the flow or you're blocked, you have this this writer's block. Let me ask you, what is your favorite medium? for reading do you prefer a hand in the a book in the hand or on kindle audible skywriting i'm you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i do i i really i i do audible and i listen to a lot of my books um i have different books for different occasions uh, if hmm. i'm going to be lounging maybe in the bathtub i might have a, a physical copy of a book in that case um, when I'm looking at my clients' books, a lot of times they're sending me digital versions, so I'm, I'm reading it on the computer. So I'm, I'm a little bit all over the place, but I think if I have to, if you're going to force me to make a, a decision, I, I, love, I love to listen to my books. That's the best way. Well, I know a lot of people who love to listen to the book to books um, because they like doing other things at the same time. And for me, uh, when I first listened to not not just autobiography of a yogi, but in particular, it was actually on vinyl, if you can believe that. And of course, there's 33 RPM, uh, there's 45, there were 78s. This was one and seven eighths revolutions per minute. Mm-hmm. One and seven eighths revolutions per minute. Very slow. So you had 45 minutes aside of the album, and I would build models, model airplanes and spacecraft and so on and so on. And my mind was 
seeing the images as I'm working with the plastic and the glue and the paint and and all of that. Uh, And I have to say, though, I don't have any specific memories of specific books with specific models. I can see in my mind's eye where I was as a kid in my brother's in my bedroom at the desk where I was building models. And then I would put these little eye hooks, screw them into the plaster ceiling and my uh, and in this particular room there was a there was a light in the middle of the ceiling i had so many models hanging from the ceiling we had to put lamps on the desk <laughs> so i built there a lot is. of models uh to uh, when i was uh, living for my for the first time in a studio apartment and there i was at the dining room table working on a model while over there was the record player with the big speaker and I'm listening to autobiography, or I was listening to another book I can I haven't been able to find. Uh, I swear the title of the book was Operation Destruct, but apparently it wasn't because I haven't been able to find it anywhere on the internet. <laughs> um, I don't remember who the author was, but I mean some incredible readers, and I know that'll probably be part of uh, one of the one of the uh, sessions that you will have at the Book Fest 2022 here this fall on the 22nd, 23rd, talking about. Getting the right voice, getting the right narrator, uh, and um, who will critique the, the, the narration? Who will, uh, uh, um, what would you say, what's the word I want? Who will monitor to make sure that the right words from the book, are, that, that all of the right words are read, and that they're read in the way that the author intended? And then, then of course, that gets into interpretation and then all of those things. Uh, that I could ask of someone who composes music, you know, especially classical music. How are we supposed to play this? How are we supposed to read this and so forth? I mean, I just had a meeting with uh, my the uh, my author, if you will, and uh, he was offering his, not criticism, but his critique, his evaluation based upon what he'd heard. And he even acknowledges maybe I'm too, being too overcritical. I have to wonder, <clears throat> are authors... The wrong person to evaluate an audible? You know, I, I think it goes back to self-editing in general. And it, it is hard. One of the book fest segments that we do, it's really popular. Um, Catherine Sands, who is from the Sarah Jane Fryman Agency. She's a literary agent. And David, David L. Robbins, who is a New York Times bestselling author. They do a segment called Critiki Bar. And one will read the first page of a manuscript to the other one, and they critique it. David comes at it from a perspective of the craft of writing, whereas Catherine comes at it from the perspective of what an agent wants to see. And in doing that, they're reading. So they're not necessarily narrating the book, per se. But when you are able to read, and when you you watch this session, too, you can read it as well as listen to it. I think that opens up the the author's eyes and everybody's eyes as to the flow, the tone, the style. There is a certain, you know, je ne sais quoi when you listen to a book that you might not necessarily catch when you're just reading it on the page. So being able to get into the head of an agent and somebody who's skilled at the craft of writing and watch those critiques. I have so many authors that will come back to me and say, I learned so much about my writing by listening and watching that segment because now I see what agents are looking for. I understand what somebody who knows the inside of craft 
of writing Inside and Out, David L. Robbins, I know where, why I'm not setting the stage the way I need to or why I'm not getting the right POV or point of view the way I need to. So that's something, and I think that kind of goes along with what you're saying, whether you're critiquing the audio version, the narrator, or just the story itself, having somebody else that can do that is so important. And that's where editors come in too. You know, so many people will, will, will talk about the editing process, whether it's a content edit or a line edit or a copy edit. And authors will sometimes kind of skip over or glaze over certain aspects of editing. But editing is one of those things that's, you know, it's just oh so important when it comes to writing, Richard. However, you haven't mentioned the author in all of this. Uh, it, it, it almost sounds a little bit like uh, uh, doing a movie treatment of a book and then you write the screenplay and then the author comes along and says, that wasn't in my book. What are you doing? And, of course, they've got to make it exciting for the small or large screen. So they've got to embellish a little here and there. And the author says, no, that's not the story. That was never in my story. So how do you juxtapose those kinds of things? So story is story is story. It doesn't matter if it's a movie or a film or it's written down or it's written in the clouds with somebody that's sky writing. There are certain <laughs> components that you need for that story. Mm-hmm. And it might sound harsh, but agents nowadays are looking for good storytellers. And there's a lot to be said. Sure, there's, you know, the, the, the page 100 is very important. You know, the moment in time where the, the, the plot reaches its climax, it is absolutely important. Nobody will ever get there, Richard, unless they get past that first page. And that's a marketing perspective, too, because what do we do when we're, we're checking out books? When we're on Amazon, we t- do that look inside feature and we start reading. We're going to read maybe the first page. Maybe you're standing in your bookstore and you flip it open. You might look to the back of the book, which is important. But you're going to open up and read that first page. So that first page has to grab people. And an editor is never going to put something there or insist that an author put something there that's not there. They're going to help make sure they take something that should be from page 30. And if it's supposed to be on page one, they're going to make sure it's on page one because the reader the reader needs to know what's going on. The reader needs to be either grabbed or compelled to keep flipping those pages. And that's what an editor will do. And again, I invite you to check out the Critique Bar because I think it's an eye-opening experience for authors when they see how somebody who does craft of, of writing so well and who is a New York Times bestselling author and somebody from a very respective literary agency um, get together and when, what happens when they critique those page ones. We are talking with Desiree Duffy, founder of White Black Chateau, uh, Books That Make You, and The Book Fest. And in this case, it's fall 2022, coming up the 22nd and 23rd of October. And uh, you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And it's uh, really nice to have you with us here, uh, Desiree, to talk this, talk about all of this. Uh, there was another aspect of this that I wanted to uh, to touch upon. You talked about the critique bar. I kind of like that's very cute. But when I went to this meeting uh, with the author, um, he wanted he was trying to tell me what he wanted to tell me without deflating me or say hurting my feelings or what have you. And so I kind of reassured him and I said, "Look, 
you're the author. You wrote the book. Now, it may have been four or five years since you wrote it, and you haven't read it since, and that's fine. But you're listening to the audible version, what I have recorded, what I have edited, because I'm doing both. I'm doing the reading and the editing. And um, I don't look at this as a criticism. I look at this as a critique that I need to learn from. Because quite honestly, this is, in this day and age, my first audible book that I have recorded. And so I'm learning. And this is, then this actually was his first book as well that he learned a lot from. So I said, so whatever you need to say, go ahead and say it. I, I, you know, I'm going to try to put on, a, a, you know, my big boy pants and my thick skin and listen for the purposes of learning what I need to do to make it better based upon what you're hearing. But I'll also let you know that I have two other people, three other people that are listening to these files and I'll get reviews from them uh, to see what they think or their critique uh, as far as uh, what they're listening to. And I said uh, one of them is a co-worker and his wife. And the other one uh, may have a little bit of a bias, but she's, she's never held back before. And that's my sister. <laughs> so I think I've got some pretty good people critiquing because uh, my sister's always been pretty honest with me. Uh, she's, she's given me my comeuppance from time to time. Uh, when she thinks that I'm, I'm crossing a line or what have you, and and uh, you know sometimes she's right, sometimes she's not, but she's there, and and I appreciate that. So, talk to us about an author's thick skin and critique versus criticism. Authors definitely need to have thick skin, and. You'll see it happen, especially that first time author, because it's like you're giving birth. A lot of times authors have spent, writers have spent years creating this, longer than a woman might carry a a, a baby to pregnancy, (laughs) right? Yeah. This is big for them. Mm -hmm. They've bled onto that page. They've sweated. They've cried. And then to get to that point and all of a sudden somebody picks out something and Besides to, you know, kind of rain on their parade, it happens. What I like to say is go go, go check out Stephen King, uh, his reviews on Amazon. Go check out J.K. Rowling. Go check out Anne Rice. Pluck, pluck the name of your favorite author. They get one-star reviews from jerks, too, or two stars or three stars. You know, so don't, don't let it get to you to that uh, degree. Because I have to give a lot of credit to authors who are brave enough to do that. It takes moxie to put out a book, to basically bare your soul. And if you're somebody like you who's writing about a spiritual aspect, something that's transformational inside themselves, that's even more soul-bearing, isn't it? Because you're really putting yourself out there. There's a vulnerability there that I think fiction authors are going to hide behind because it's not them. It's their main character. And let's face it, almost all writers, at least almost all good writers, they put themselves into their characters and they can't say that they don't. Usually that main character is a, an extension of themselves. But they're they're putting up these barriers, aren't they? That's not me. That's my character. I would never <clears throat> say that. That's my character. But when you're writing nonfiction and you're writing something that's transformative and a memoir and something that's helping other people, that's really the core of you. So I, I just, I guess I want to say, Richard, to you and anybody else who's in that realm writing, 
I can be mad props. You should be proud. And yeah, you, you're going to need thick skin because there's always going to be people out there that want to tear you down. But just remember, they're tearing down others. There's trolls out there. And with the internet the way it is, there's people out there that they get, you know, they, they get uh, a thrill out of, you know, making other other people's days miserable. And just don't let them, don't give them that satisfaction because you've come too far to let them, you know, get under your skin. Now, I, I don't want to go into an area that you may not want to, but you are an author. You have written a book or you're in the process thereof, correct? Yeah, I'm actually rewriting it and I'm going to re-release it. So I'm, I'm keeping it very much under wraps right now. Um, anybody that's ever dealt with Amazon knows that if you try to take a book off of Amazon, it can be tricky to do. So I actually don't want people buying it or going to it right now okay. because of the fact that, that that that's actually going to make it more difficult for me to take it down. But to, to answer your question, I do know this from experience. I do know the writing process. I do empathize and understand with authors with what they're doing and what they're going going through. I get that. And I, I just work with so many authors and so many people within the, the, the world, the publishing world. So, you know, a lot of this is coming from hearing the stories, talking with authors, understanding their pain, taking them on their journey, you know, with Black Chateau. And thank you for bringing it up. I know I'm here to talk about the book fest, but we're a boutique agency. That means we're really hands on. We're not one of these big conglomerates where you're one of hundreds of authors. We have a very small client list, and that's by design, because when we work with somebody, we're working with them. Almost on a daily, weekly basis, we're talking to them. We're helping them with all aspects of their book and their marketing. So when I say that I know a lot about the author's experience, it's just because I've worked with and been beside them in so many different instances over the past several years. And I'm sure being one also helps uh, in that regard as well. You can you can say, yeah, I know what you're going through because you've probably gone through it because you're an author too. And because a lot of times people will say, make that statement, I know what you're going through. You have no idea what I'm going through because you don't have a mother and a father. You were hatched from an egg <laughs> or whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think it's fantastic that, that people have the opportunity through the book fest to find out more about how to write. Uh, also in terms of uh, how and or what to read. And I have to say that I've, I've how would I put this, hand read? Because I've, in other words, holding the book. I, I have not read a lot of books, but I remember the experience of one book by Frank Herbert. It wasn't Dune. It was another book called The Prometheus Project. And it was so intriguing to me that I had to hold, and this was a paperback that was rather thick. So people, you know how difficult it is to hold those thick paperbacks. With one hand, okay, <clears throat> I had to hold it with one hand. And then, and I'll go ahead and show this, <clears throat> I had to use my magnifying glass while I'm holding the book and I'm trying to read. And I was up until one or two in the morning reading this book sometimes because it was so compelling to me. It was science fiction, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but that is how much pain I was willing to put myself through. It wasn't horrible uh, to get through this book, to, to not to finish it, 
but to just keep moving through it. That's my perspective with my narrating as well. I'm not trying to get to the end. Now, this particular book has 62 chapters, 479 pages, okay? Now, I have reached the 20% mark. But my goal is not to try to get this thing finished. Oh, gosh, when am I going to get to the last page? No. I am enjoying the reading part, but I'm also enjoying reading the book as a reader. Because the story, to me, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's maybe not as compelling as Prometheus Project, but it certainly has my attention from the reader's standpoint. So I want to continue. I want to keep moving and, and go on to the next page and chapter 2 and 4 and 6 and 8 and 10. And I think I'm on 17. I'm editing 17. Uh, I've, got, I've got 62 chapters total. So, you know, you can see how far along I am and yet how far I have to go. And that how far I have to go when I was a kid growing up and I was in a book and I would like Prometheus so thick. I'm starting on chapter one. I'm going, oh, I've got so much to go. And I'll be glad when I get to the middle of the book and it'll be so much easier to hold and so on and so forth. Um, I cannot imagine a world without books, uh, whether I sit there and I read them by hand, on Kindle, Audible. And by the way, <clears throat> when a blind person listens to a book or goes to the movies or watches television, they're doing exactly the same thing that the sighted person is doing. They're reading a book and they're watching a movie. They're watching television. Uh, the, the, the verbiage, it's, it's more semantics. My first wife, who was totally blind, she watched movies. We went to the movies. Uh, I would describe to her from time to time. Of course, now they have the, <clears throat> the, the, the the descriptive movies where you wear a set of headphones or wireless, what have you, mm -hmm. and they're whispering in your ear, so to speak, what's happening as events are unfolding. Um, but with Audible or recordings, you're reading. And so if you say, I listened to, well, okay, maybe accurately, but actually you did. You read so-and-so's book. And I think that that says a lot more uh, in that respect. I, I read their book and I went into – see, that's what I love about doing this program. All right. I'm hoping that your book, when it comes – when you do re-release it, we can you have you come on and I can dive into your world of authorship, authorhood, if you will, because that's what – my perspective is every time I interview an author, it's I get to go. It's like opening a Christmas present. I get to go into their world and I can get to see what they see, you know, and experience some of the things. And, and obviously with transformation, spirituality, metaphysics, etc. Um, it's it's a whole nother genre. But it's it's like, wow, new ideas, new concepts, new paradigms for a new world. And I thank you for uh, helping more people to write their stories uh, as well as to uh, uh, for people to read too. So, folks, participate in the Book Fest 2022 this fall, the 22nd and 23rd of October. Thank you so much for being with us, uh, Desiree. I thank you, and uh, I look forward to having you back on the program in the near future. It's been my pleasure, Richard. Thank you. And just so everybody knows, 
join us for the live stream the 22nd and 23rd. And the cool thing is, is we record all those segments. So if you don't catch it, we do curate that content. So you can always go back and watch your favorite videos. And we will be linked to thebookfest.com so that people can do just that. And uh, I do have three final questions that I like to ask all of my guests, regardless of the genre uh, that we talk about. Uh, and um, before I do, I want to let you, the listener and the viewer, know that you are listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. To help make your dreams come true, we are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. We're on YouTube where you can listen to and watch these interviews. We hope that you will do just that. And uh, we hope that you will join us uh, for every broadcast or podcast. We're over 88,000 listens in almost, almost, uh, what would it be, 2018 January to the present, uh, almost, was that four years? 18, 19, 20, 21, Five years, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, by the way, we just celebrated our 15th anniversary on this program, as it were, and um, we're at a whopping 89 subscribers on YouTube. I've said it before, uh, and I know, uh, Desiree, that this is probably something that, that authors need to be aware of and concerned of and so forth and so on with social media and everything, but I have to tell you, the numbers don't matter to me. If, if They're going up, which is great. That tells me people are listening. That's all I want is for people to listen to these programs and to glean from them what they can to make their world a better place for themselves and their families and their communities. So, uh, hey, we when we hit 100,000, we'll, we'll be real excited. But you know what? That's, that isn't my goal. My goal is to talk to you, Desiree, talk to other guests about what they have to share in that regard of new paradigms for a new world. Also, participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision. We ask you to go within and listen to that still, small voice. Spend time in that quiet, calm, peaceful place and just relax and know that everything is as it should be. I love the line from Desiderata. You're a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be heard and read. All right, and whether it's clear to you, the world is unfolding just as it should, and you should contribute to it, so we hope you will. And if you'd like to support this program, I hope I don't get sued now by the folks who created Desiderata since I quoted their lyrics. Um, <laughs> we have a PayPal account. It's here for your security as well as ours if you'd like to support us financially. We would be ever so grateful, uh, and uh, it will go towards supporting the work that we're doing, paying for the SoundCloud uh, uh, space as well as the web uh, hosting services and all of the other ancillary things that we we have to have to uh, to keep you uh, to keep you informed, folks. So I hope you'll do that. Another, uh, with all of that being said, uh, we now move back to our three final questions for our guests that we ask all of our guests, and I've changed up one of the questions following our 15th anniversary program. My first question, same as always, who is Desiree Duffy? Um, 
Desiree Duffy is a person who discovered that she is a builder of things six years ago when she broke away from the vice president position that she held at an advertising and marketing agency and founded Black Chateau and discovered that that is what she loved and that's what she needed to do with her life. The next question is still the, one of the originals. What is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is to help people tell their stories. I realized in 2019 that, yeah, I can put out my own stories. And that's great. And I want to do that. But the reason, and at that time, I got a license to do a TEDx. And the reason behind that was because I wanted to literally give a stage to other people because I felt rather than me amplifying my one little voice, if I can amplify lots of voices, then I can make a difference in the world. And that's been the same thing I've done for Black Chateau, for Books That Make You, and now for the book fest, I'm getting those stories out there because I feel that's my mission. And you are the first to answer the new question. I hope you know the reference from City Slickers, the movie. What was your best day? My best I can't say anything else other than the day my daughter was born. Wonderful. That's a, that's an easy one. But I and I do remember that movie City Slickers. Wow, good. that was a blast from the past. Good, good. I I uh, we were talking about that on another program, and it just hit me. It's like, and again, the universe asks the questions on these programs. I'm just along for the ride. Okay, I'm a mouthpiece. <laughs> And we were talking about that. And I said, you know what? I have a feeling I need to update one of the questions that I ask at the end of the program. Now, you may remember, you may not remember, uh, Jimmy Durante at the end of his programs. Good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. Mm -hmm. And Carol Burnett would pull on her earlobe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Johnny Carson, of course, in the middle at the end of his monologue, he would do the golf swing. Mm-hmm. I thought I need to come up with something. So at the beginning of these programs in 2007, I started asking uh, two of those three questions uh, and and changed one of them maybe seven years ago. And then I thought, you know, and we got to talking about that movie and I thought, you know, I think that's an even better question than blah, 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 blah. And so from this point forward, that's what we're going to ask. You're, who you are, who is... You know, what's your life purpose and what was your best day? I love it. That's and, great, Richard. And you have inaugurated that, and I thank you so much for being <laughs> on the program today. Oh, my pleasure. And I thank you, Richard. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. On. You are very welcome. And I thank you for listening to and watching. Tell me your story, new paradigms for a new world. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast. Love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening.